The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast in Garage Mahal with you as always. It's Pooty and it's P Nate. We're back after, uh, I guess we took a bit of time off. Um, we posted a couple sermons. Uh, we were back at it last week, but I feel, I, I feel refreshed. I feel rejuvenated. Yeah, I don't feel like, I don't feel like we could claim it as time off because we were snowed out. Yeah. So like we true. live in Canada and it's cold up here, man. Yeah. There's snow is, everywhere. Right now we are recording at nine o'clock at night and it is minus 24 degrees Celsius. So that would mean Fahrenheit wise. What would that be like? I have no idea. Minus I can 40? Google it if you want to talk for a little bit. Yeah. It's really cold. The answer is <laughs> it's, 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 it is very cold. It's very cold. Like people in green Bay don't get this cold and think about that like you've all watched like the ice bowl the ice bowl was warmer than today <laughs> like i'd be in shorts and a t-shirt like that's as many football references i can make in like a short amount of time about how cold it is so that's like minus oh i'm wrong he's wrong nate just admitted on a live podcast <laughs> that he is wrong okay so in fahrenheit right now outside i He's very rough. <laughs> it's cold is the answer to the question. It is. There you go. Minus 10, 9.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Does that, make, does that make us the toughest podcast out of our network? Which we are proud members of the Brea Media Network with our front pew brothers, our two thieves brothers, and the, and the layman who just got a new logo. logo who are you which not I'm, calling brothers? There are brothers. <laughs> okay, okay. I was just, just making sure you're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they don't have to deal with these kind of elements. No, they do not. Like, I would say, I would say, um, the the front pew and uh, the layman are in cushy, North Carolina. They didn't even know. Like, as we record, they don't like. We wear toques because it's so cold, even in the studio. Yeah, and they call those toboggans because they don't actually know what a toboggan is because they have nothing. They have they have no snow to ride down a hill on. No, they call these like worship leader hats because they don't even realize <laughs> that these are like actually functional. They're, they're in the Bible, but the hippie Bible belt. <laughs> so all the worship leaders have have uh, tight skinny jeans and uh, beanies and long t-shirts. <laughs> oh man, uh, we do I, love the Berean Media Network uh, and we're proud members of it. <laughs> don't yeah. kick us out. Yeah, we, are the we will eventually get kicked out because we're Canadian. How was your uh, Christmas and New Year's? Christmas was good. Um, Chris, Christmas is always like a weird time. Like I always find it as a weird family time. Like I love it. Careful. I'm, I'm part of your extended family. No, no, no. Let me, <laughs> let me explain. So I love Christmas and I look forward to it so much. 
but I'm always exhausted on it because I mm. realize that I always like, I don't know what it is about December, but I, I, I overbook myself this month. Mm, like you yeah. would not believe, like I, I led worship twice on Christmas Eve yeah, and like almost every week it felt like I was doing something up until, and I'm working. Like, so like, I was like, I felt like Christmas day, I was just like a zombie mm. the entire time. And like, we had some family, some like not on our, our side, but like there was a, a death in my family. So it was just a tense like yeah. time. And I remember sitting just like on Christmas day being like, I just want to sleep. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not even a napper. No, like, not. I was just like, I just want to relax and I wanted to eat and then just sleep. That's all it was. And I was just like, okay, but so it was good, but it was like, I kind of want to do it again. <laughs> I, I need it faster. I, I need, need another faster. Christmas. Yeah, that's fair. I had, uh, I had four funerals through the month of December. So, uh, I felt the same way. Like I felt, um, the last one I that's had was lot. on the 29th. Yeah. So even, even like leading up to Christmas, normally I, I get a bit of time off right between Christmas and New Year's, but that was filled with the funeral as well. So sometimes you can't predict these things, but I felt, I felt tired as well. So I, I hear you. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's tiring, but it was good. And, uh, Christmas is cool with kids because once you have kids and they're excited, they get excited about Christmas, like that kind of like enthusiasm and excitement for Christmas comes back that you kind of lose as an adult. You know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, I can't afford to buy myself video games or, you know what I mean? Like new cleats or whatever. So I relied on Christmas to get stuff I wanted. <laughs> Whereas now as an adult, if, I mean, if you really want something, you just buy it for yourself. So Christmas loses something, but you regain it when you have kids, which is kind of cool. That is, that is kind of cool. Um, yeah. how, did, how did the, how did Quinn and Judah, well, Quinn mostly because Judah's a little bit too young, but how did they react to Christmas morning? Oh, it was good. Yeah. So, uh, the night before Christmas, we put out some, like, like we, we let Quinn make believe with Santa, right? We're not, we're not, uh, never saying the name of Santa or anything. We're, we're basically telling her about Santa, like reading stories and all that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll eventually tell her the real story of St. Nick and everything, but we, we make sure she knows like, this is, this is pretend, this is make believe. And, and we, we, we play pretend in this house. Right. So, um, so in all of that, we, uh, before she went to bed on Christmas Eve, Eve, we had her put out cookies for Santa. So it was funny because the very first thing when we woke up on Christmas Day, I go, we like Colleen and I go into her room and we're like, Quinn, like it's Christmas morning. And the first thing she says is Santa num num. Like she wanted to figure out if he ate the food. So she goes out and she looks at the, the little stool. She put the plate of cookies on right by the fireplace and she just looks at it and her, her jaw drops and she's like, oh, <laughs> he ate them like he was here so that was kind of cool um and then i mean we tried to space out some of the presents so it wasn't like just her just opening opening one thing and looking forward to the next so we tried to like open it and you know appreciate it and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah it was good it was no, that's good. good yeah how so about she, new, did you do anything fun on new year's yeah i was i was asleep by 10 <laughs> i did not see in the new year i haven't seen it in the new year in a couple of years now man it's uh, a couple a couple years ago we had uh, I think you guys and a few people from our small group over and played games. That was the last time I saw in the new year. The last couple of years I'm always asleep early. I can't, man. I don't. I don't. I never see midnight. I'm too tired. And the kids are gonna get up at the same time anyway. I'd rather not lose out on the sleep. So I mean, we had a good night. Like Colleen and I just got a bunch of our favorite snacks and. And kind of watched a movie and, and hung out and we chatted about what we thought the, the new year would, 
would bring. And then, you know, we went to bed at nine o'clock and we were asleep by 10. <laughs> it was great. Uh, P Nate, the 85 year old, four year old. <laughs> what about you? Did you see in the new year? I did see in the new year. Um, but like I see midnight every day. So like I, if I'm not sick, I'm very likely to see, see midnight, um, on a, on a normal basis. So like I went to bed at my normal time, which is like 1230. And so like, it was just like no big deal. You know what I mean? Now I will point out that I, I kind of dozed a little bit because I was so tired. Um, I did doze a little bit earlier. So I was kind of in and out before midnight, which was, is rare for me. But you were just um, at home. Like you weren't like dozing out at like a new year's party. Or something. No, 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 no. I, I actually, the couch. New, new year's is one of like the, I'm a very social person. Like I like being like people energize me. I want to be in groups. I want to be out doing things with people as, and I, and I never like to leave as you've experienced. Um, he overstays his welcome. I do overstay my welcome a little bit. Um, New Year's is the one time that I don't do that though. Like I don't want, like I, I don't, me and Heather have just made like a little tradition that we've just loved of just like, we find a show or a movie or a few movies and we're just going to watch them all that night. And we're just going to just power through. Like we, I used to watch an entire season of lost every new year's. That was how I watched oh, wow. that show. Um, but Lost is long finish so now we've been Sadly. struggling so this year we started watching how, uh, making a murderer oh yeah which everybody who's listening to this yeah. has probably already seen this i had never seen this it's on netflix documentary so i just got i just was agitated the whole night because i'm mm, like yeah. injustice rage <laughs> um so but it was good other than that and then you know it was it was a good day other than that so yeah it was good yeah can't nice. complain um, okay, so we kind of wanted to kick off the new year uh, with, uh, we, we kind of turned our Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 5, and uh, there's a passage of scripture here that I think, um, obviously this podcast is all about how to engage culture with biblical worldview, and as we look at kind of culture around us, we're, there's, a, there's a plethora of topics that we want to wade into this year. Uh, we have some guests lined up to come in and, and help us uh, work through some of them. But we just kind of wanted to start off by talking through this passage of Scripture, which I think uh, it's, it's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and, uh, and just kind of talk about this. So Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And uh, that, that verse has come uh, to our minds and in, into our conversations a lot throughout this past year and likely will again because that's the society that we live in right now. So there, there are a lot of topics that we just kind of wanted to uh, to kind of a, almost a grab bag and, and talk about a couple of these different things. And I think they all kind of anchor themselves to this verse in a lot of ways. So woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that, that is the society that we live in now where people are, are calling the things that God has condemned good and glorious things and the things that God has um, upheld, they call them evil things. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, we, we live in a very weird point in, in history that, everything is being challenged and yeah. even things that are like for, for lack of a better, just fundamentally obvious, like yeah. where we're seeing these things like, and I, I don't, I know I don't want to harp on the same thing all the time, but um, I'm born a boy or I'm born, born a girl or what's up and is what down. These things are just being challenged 
almost for no reason. It's just because we're rejecting anything that can be objectively said to be true. Anything that makes a truth claim seems to be under attack. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it, like, it feels like the Christian worldview more so. Yeah. Um, like I almost feel like we're living in like a truth apocalypse where it's like, there is nothing that's true except everything that's not true. Yeah. That's that. And, and I think this is, I mean, for years in universities and, and even in high schools, we were studying postmodernism, which is kind of the, um, it's, it's a, it's a study of thought that kind of deconstructs meta narratives. It, it, uh, it, challenges truth claims it says that there's no objective truth only the subjective truth of each individual reader each individual protagonist each individual person and that hyper individualization of society um where we no longer think of the kind of common good or whatever but we we think about the the individual and elevating the individual um rights and feelings and and offenses um to the highest place they can be so we've been studying that stuff in academia for years, and it's like we thought that it wasn't going to make its way into like mainstream thinking, but that's exactly what we've seen. You you mentioned, yeah, like you, you mentioned trans uh, transgenderism, which seems to be everywhere you look now. And uh, this this article that uh, that we saw, Dave uh, actually sent it to me. I sent it over to you. And there was this uh, on CBC, which is the Canadian uh, Broadcasting communication something like that something like that um, channel yeah channel maybe um they uh, they were gonna air this documentary and uh this this documentary was called uh transgender kids who knows best and they had planned and they had advertised that they were going to air this thing and they actually pulled it so it got it got shown in the uk and um the trans community um, there was such a backlash from the trans community that they pulled it the day it was supposed to air on CBC. And essentially, so this, I, I mean, this wasn't even, like, it's not a Christian documentary. The, the filmmaker was, he, he agrees with um, transgender surgeries and, and things like that. I mean, he's not a Christian guy. He was simply, he simply made this, um, this documentary saying that um, people have been too quick to jump on hormone therapy treatments or uh, gender reassignment surgeries because um, based on his long-term studies, a, a very high, I think it was like 70 to 90% or something like that, yeah. um, very, very high percentage of people who are suffering from gender dysphoria grow out of it, that, that it is kind of a phase. It is like something that, that some people go through and end up, and then even a very high percentage of people who actually go through gender reassignment to, to some degree actually revert back. And so all he was saying was, let's not jump so quickly to uh, begin hormone therapy and, and gender reassignment surgery for people. Let's see whether or not when they hit puberty, because that, that was the thing. Once these kids hit puberty, most of them, like up to 90% of them, um, just kind of grew out of this phase. Now, and, and again, this is coming from a guy who agrees and he would say, okay, but for that remaining 10%, then let's do hormone therapy. Then, so this guy is not, a, he's not a Christian. He's not uh, condemning transgenderism as a whole. He's just simply saying from a scientific standpoint and, and going based on these studies, this is what I'm observing. And that documentary could not get aired because it, the trans community said it would promote transphobia. 
right? So, so like you said, it's, it's gotten to the point now where they will reject scientific evidence, reject clinical studies, simply because we think these ideas are dangerous and, and people shouldn't think this way. Yeah, we're, we no longer care about finding what's right. Um, we no longer care about finding statistics or scientific evidence or anything about that. We're more concerned about winning an argument. Yeah. Well, and, and so, that's, and that's, yeah, that's exactly right. So in this CBC article, um, which was written on and kind of, it was written in their opinion section. It was written by a lady named Deborah. So, and I actually thought the article was really well written. Um, but, uh, her last, her last paragraph said, those complicit in the silencing of legitimate science have lost sight of the forest for the trees. The issue is no longer about what's in the best interest of these children, but about winning at all costs an ideological war. Well, that, that is it, right? So we, this, this issue of transgenderism has become so politicized and so tied to, to particular ideological frameworks that you can't surrender anything, even in the face of empirical evidence, because it means that you're surrendering your entire worldview, your entire ideology. So it, it's interesting that, you know, Isaiah 520 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. The Bible says God created them male and female and saw that it was good. And now we're saying that anything, scientific evidence that would suggest that what the Bible has said for uh, centuries is true is now transphobic and a dangerous idea. It's interesting. It's 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 a upside down world we're living in. Yeah, abs absolutely. It doesn't it doesn't just stop there, right? No, like no, it, it's all over. Um, like it, it's a it's a weird thing to talk about, but you can you can kind of see this everywhere now. Like um, injustices just everywhere, right? Like you're not allowed to say. X, you're not allowed to say Y, but I'm allowed. I'm allowed to say Happy Holidays, even though that can offend somebody. But I'm not allowed to say Merry Christmas. Like these these, these right. weird little things that it's just like they're taking freedom of speeches out of, of like the freedom of speech away from us in in certain areas, but not like this is a freedom of speech issue. This documentary is not allowed to be shown because it disagrees with a minority's viewpoint. It just right. it it's such a weird di like. Dichotomy, I guess, is the right word. Right. Like, so the only, essentially what they're saying is the only absolute truth is that there are no absolute truths, right? And so anything that attacks um, the idea that there is no absolute truth, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, so it, it, it's like society now has their meta-narrative, which is exactly what they're saying they're trying to break down. But their meta-narrative is there is no meta-narrative and there are no truth claims and there's no absolute truth. And P.S., that's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> that there are no absolute truths. It's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting place to stand. And we, we say that as recipients, I think, of the intolerance of tolerance, right? So, so the, that whole thing fosters a tolerance of everybody except the people who are claiming that there's truth. Right. And I think that's it's what's so interesting is that the Bible, which we believe is objectively true, is it, it's an authority. Right. And, and if you look throughout the gospel accounts, one of the things. So it says, I think in, it's in Matthew five um, or sorry, Matthew eight, right after the Sermon on the Mount, it says, and they marveled. Right. They marveled 
because he spoke as one who had authority, right? That's what they say right after the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus, over and over again, what is it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Go therefore and make disciples. It, it was his authority that is always emphasized in the Gospels. Well, what is authority? Authority is the ability to name, the ability to declare. And so a Bible that makes declarations about what is true, what is light, what is darkness, becomes offensive to the people who would say that there is no meta narrative, there is no truth. And so it becomes the, the sole attack. So we must sacrifice our worldview so that all other worldviews can be upheld. It, it's just a, it's a really interesting, you, I think you call it the truth apocalypse. <laughs> I think that's a, a, good, uh, a good title for it. Yeah. Exactly, because everybody else is allowed to have a, a truth claim, but as long as your truth claim doesn't say that somebody else's truth claim is wrong, right? Like, yeah. it's mind-boggling, um, and we see and we see this everywhere. Like we like we live in we're obviously Canadian, so we live in Canada with our politicians who continually do things that you're just like this makes no sense. Right. Um, what was the thing that he did? Uh, speaking of Justin Trudeau. Um, so Trudeau, interestingly, is spending more money to kill babies from another, like from other countries yeah. than he is to save adoption in Canada. And it's yeah. just like, this is so blatantly stupid, yeah. I know. but you're calling it right and yeah. you're calling it good. And, but it's so blatantly dumb. You know what I mean? Like it just, well, and they, they just started, I think it's called, um, I should have looked this up. I didn't know I was going to talk about it. I think it's called the her first or something like that or, or something. She, um, but, but they just, they just promoted. Um, so you talked about how they are promoting women's rights in other countries, which is essentially, that's how they say it, but they're, they're killing babies in other countries. So the Canadian government is now uh, committed uh, millions and millions of dollars to, um, providing what they call health care for women in oppressive um, countries. In other words, countries that think abortion is murder, the Canadian government will go in and provide abortions for, for women who can't get their, their, their health care. So that's what you're talking about. But, but what stems off of there is this campaign that they have where now, almost like a Compassion Canada World Vision sort of thing, that you Canadians can now... Um, sponsor women from some of these. So the way Trudeau packages it is he says, um, you can sponsor women who are in countries that don't value women and give them an opportunity for education, for advancement, all that kind of stuff. That's, it, that's good. That's all good stuff. But what's so interesting about that is that, e so this is the same guy who promotes radical transgender rights. You can't have it both ways, Mr. Trudeau. You can't say that women are unique and need protecting and ought to be valued in a unique and special way, but also that anybody can identify as one, right? You, it, it can't be both. It's one or the other. But he can't see the contradiction in his own worldview because he's bought into this lie that there are no absolute truths. So he can just cling to any, any view that suits his political interests or, uh, or just on, on, on any, anything that indulges his, his own sinfulness. Yeah, but so that's, you know, and so that's, that's the world that we live in. It's, it's a wa walking contradictions. We, we see this in the, uh, we're calling this the truth apocalypse, but we, we've talked about the, uh, 
the Groper apocalypse or the sexual assault apocalypse. I don't know what you want to call it. The the Groper apocalypse must stay. Uh, But like, right, you you see this with the Al Frankens and the, uh, the Roy Moores and the Harvey Weinsteins and all this kind of stuff. And you see all these, in, and, and what's baffling me in the States is that you have all the Republicans pointing the finger at the, Fra- like the Al Franklins and, and the uh, Bill Clintons, and then you have all the Democrats who are pointing the fingers at the Roy Moores and, and the um, uh, Donald Trumps, and, uh, and, and both are ignoring the plank in their own eye. The point here is that there's... We celebrated Hugh Hefner's passing away. We celebrated him as a cultural hero who who liberated us from the chains of prudish, you know, um, uh, long gone Victorian values or something like that. And we celebrated him as a cultural hero. Guess what? Hugh Hefner made millions or billions of dollars off the objectification of women. And now in our society, we're getting enraged that men are objectifying women. Right. You, you again. You can't have it both ways. Free love and the sexual revolution have consequences in society. So you can't say that um, you know we we have to hold people to a particular standard and you can't objectify women, but then celebrate men who objectified women and made millions of dollars off of it. Well, yeah, it, it's a, it's mind-boggling because you're right. They just don't see they just don't see the contradiction in their worldview, where on one hand we'll publicly proclaim. We want to see women's rights upheld and we want to see women, which is good things. We want to see women treated fairly, equally. We're all for that. Yep. But at the same time, we promote and we don't, de- we don't criminalize pornography. We don't criminalize prostitution in Canada. We don't criminalize any of these, no. these practices which prey on sex, traffic, sex <laughs> yeah. trafficking women, women who are... At, at no have no other choice but to perform sex acts for money right and get exploited by people putting them on the internet and filming which the same people who i'm not i'm not making that big of a bug but but a large number of the same people who would say on one hand i want women to be treated fairly in the workplace right. go home and then spend two hours a night i don't know what the stats are watching pornography on their computers buying playboy magazine buying all these all these things that do the exact thing that they say publicly that they rage against right and this but we don't see this because they don't see that connection and so on sitcoms it's completely fine for the 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 protagonist males who we all love to joke about how they watch porn and that's all okay but we're going to be outraged when women are objectified actually yeah you can't fake pornography, right? Well, I'm sure you can with animation or whatever, but you can't, you can't fake what those women are doing. They're actually naked. They're actually doing those things. They are actually being objectified. And so we can't say that we hate the objectification of women in some, sort of, in some ways and not in others. Exactly. But this is, the, um, this is the absurdity you get into of calling up, down, and down, up, and dark, light, and light, dark you get into that absurdity when there is no objective standard because it all just becomes, well, what do I want to believe? Well, hey, it gains me points to condemn publicly the you know, Donald Trump's and Roy Moore's of the world, um, but it, it's also completely socially acceptable for me to go home, watch porn, do my thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very funny because we, uh, we live in a time where like literature like tons of books that come out, tons of movies that are coming out, 
play on this theme of like uh, almost an apocalyptic world, like a post-apocalypse yeah. society yep. and what that looks like. And it's, I find it very interesting when I read back and I read books like 1984 and books that we're far past what they would have called post-apocalyptic at that time. Right. And it, I find it funny that the way we try to live now in our own, like our own society, I'm, I'm obviously making a general statement, but we're living almost like we're trying to live in a post-apocalyptic world in terms of what we, how we interact with each other, being like, well, I can do whatever I want myself. You can't, sub right. you can't tell me there's rules for me because I disagree with what you call, call my rules. Well, we live in a rule in a world that we would at the same time say there has to be order. You know what right. I mean? It's, it blows my mind that people can't see these two different things yeah. that the, made any sense. Yeah, no, it did. And the, the, the phrase, right, is cognitive dissonance that the tension that you feel, um, with while holding contradictory views. Right. And so the reality is, is that cognitive dissonance has evaporated. People are completely okay, right? They don't feel that tension. They don't, they can't make the connections between their contradictory worldviews, right? And so the feminist who is standing up for women's rights can't see that being pro-choice is authorizing the destruction of women, right? Like that they, they don't, they can't make that connection. And, uh, and, so, and I, I think that this has infiltrated its way into the church in a lot of ways because, I mean, as we're sitting here talking about pornography, um, statistically speaking, this is a huge epidemic in the church. And so you have men, and think about even in our reformed communities, you have men who would call themselves complementarian. You can't be a complementarian and watch pornography, right? That, that, complementarity it talks about men taking primary responsibility for the care of women for protecting women, for providing security for women. You can't, you can't say theologically that that's where you stand while you're addicted to pornography. It just, so, so if we're looking at the hypocrisy of the world, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, the Bible says. And so um, part, part of the reason it's infiltrating society is because it's already infiltrated the church and, and we've become good at living in our own hypocrisy. Yeah, we, well, we turn a blind eye to it, right? Yeah. When was the last time, you don't have to answer this as pastor, but when was the last time somebody came into your office and just admitted freely that they do this, that they struggle with this? I think it happens, but it, for the statistics rarely, that we hear yeah. about when it's, when it's private, yeah. there's a lot more people struggling with these issues yeah. in our congregations that don't have accountability, that aren't trusting people who, they, who are around them to help them through these things that we've lost the ability to help each other that we now we've lost the ability to how to influence the world on other than just saying, don't do it. Right. Like how to help them overcome, overcome these things. Right. right. So we just don't say anything and then it, it spirals out of control. Yeah. And I think it, like you're saying, it does start by, by men and women in the church. Cause I don't think it's just a men problem either. Yeah. Um, in the, in the church who struggle with these things, admitting it, coming forward, being bold enough to admit that they have the, have these struggles and getting help with it, right? Yeah. So there's um so interesting, just uh switching gears here, just kinda going back to the kind of the whole the truth apocalypse. Um I was watching a movie, it's on Netflix, uh, and I feel like everybody has a Netflix subscription. So if you're listening to this and you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch this movie. Um there is some language in it, there's no nudity in it. Um but uh it's either called Oranges or The Oranges. And it's uh it's a movie, so it's got um uh, it's got Seth Cohen from the OC. What's that guy's name? 
Seth Cohen. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that guy, that actor. It's got him in it. It's got a bunch of people that you'd recognize. Um, it's got the guy from House, you know, the the like Doctor House, the TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's got him in it. Anyway, it's this it's this movie um, that's about these two families who live across the street from each other. They're super close. They spend every Christmas together. Yada yada yada. And uh, and they both look. Both families look like they're perfect families. Um, it, but then you you know kind of under the under the surface not all is as it seems and the father of the one family um starts having an affair with the daughter of the other family right now and she's over 18 she's like you know 20 or something like that but he's you know in his mid to late 40s or i don't know what the age gap was but it's obviously grotesque um and uh and so anyway in this movie what's so interesting because we were watching the movie and uh and it, it's a comedy it's funny it, it's it's doing its thing but as as this starts happening um you know we're colleen and i are kind of looking at each other and going like man how how is this movie going to end because every time anybody confronted either of the two who are committing adultery whenever they were confronted with why are you guys doing this this is bad it was always, well, why is it bad? We're in love. This makes us happy. Who are you to tell us that we can't be happy? And it was so interesting because that was the silencing argument in this. So at one point, I paused the movie and I said to Colleen, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to end this movie because nobody can, nobody can get them out of this relationship. It's so obvious to the people watching the movie. It's so obvious to everybody in the movie that it's wrong but they have no objective standard by which to judge it. So they can't call it wrong because it's making them happy. And if their happiness and their subjective morality is the be all and end all, then nobody can say anything to them. So it was so interesting. So I paused it. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to end. I, you know, I, I spot the lie. I do the whole thing. Cody's like, can you just hit play? So we end up watching the rest of the movie. And I, I realize I just spoiled this whole movie for people, but it's it's a comedy, so it's not like so that. far. So. I'm fairly confident nobody's going to watch <laughs> yeah, fair it. Enough. So there's that. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, what ends up happening is they they break up at the end of the the movie because they realize that they're hurting the people that they love, even though the people that they love can't make a coherent argument for why it's hurting them or why it's wrong, since you know it's making them happy. But they end up breaking up because they don't want to hurt the people that they love. But what's so interesting is the movie basically ends and the one who's narrating it, who's the daughter of the guy who has the affair. So her dad was sleeping with the... The, the daughter her, of the... Yeah. Um, and she basically says, it was a good thing. So the movie ends, everybody's in upheaval. The mom and the dad obviously get divorced. The other daughter um, goes off to find herself or something like that. I, and anyway, and the narrator says, this was a good thing because... None of us were happy, but nobody wanted to admit it. And so this made us it, it possible for all of us to pursue what makes us happy. Basically, their example of pursuing what made them happy made us all pursue what makes us happy. And what was so brutal about it is like, but it's wrong. But they can't say that it's wrong because they have no objective standard that they can judge it with. So, of course, they at the end, they have to say it was a good thing because it made them happy and it made everybody else around them happy. And if that's the only arbiter of what's good and what's bad is whether or not it makes you happy, how else can it end? Yeah. So it was really interesting because I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, like, that's all it's going to take. Like, all it's going to take is, is Harvey Weinstein or... Donald Trump or, or Roy Moore or, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey or like whoever, whoever is the, the most recent. Yeah, um, somebody rich enough to fight it. Yeah. Like, All it's going to take is one person to say, 
so what? So what? This is what I do. I take advantage of, of women or I uh, sleep around or I'm you know, a sexual deviant. But who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? That's all it's going to take is one person to say that. And nobody has an argument because nobody is standing on the word of God. Nobody is standing on a, an objective morality. So it, it's, it's an interesting world we live in because the minute you surrender truth, you surrender your ability to keep society in order. Yeah, exactly. Which is why, which is why I think so it's, it can become so important for Christians to, to know, like, well, it is why it's so important for us to know what is right and what is wrong. Totally. Um, knowing like the Bible tells us knowing what is good to do and not doing it is sin. Right. So rejecting, like we read in the, in Isaiah five, rejecting what is good is evil. So the implication there was we need to cling to what is good and what is true and what is, who says, like, what is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. Yeah, so we have to cling, we have to cling to him and what he's taught so that we can call what is, we can be the voice that says this is evil and this is stupidity and this is dumb. Yeah. And here's why. Right. I mean, because like you're saying, if we don't have that, then who are you to tell me that I can't do whatever I feel like doing? Right. And I can tell you lots of things that are sin make me happy. Right. You know what I mean? And if, if happiness becomes the barometer of what's good and what's evil, woe to the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I think, the, the, I mean, the major takeaways from this for us, I would say, is number one, let's make sure that this hypocrisy doesn't infiltrate our own lives. Like, let's, let's make sure that for us, we are living, living out the commands of Scripture, living out what the Bible teaches. Let's not be the hypocrites. So judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Let, let's repent. Let's, you know, um, allow the truth to actually play itself out in our lives. Let's actually live by truth within the, the family of God. And then number two, I would say, let's go back to some of the things that we've said on this podcast before in that, um, you know, our job as disciple makers isn't to bring every conversation to the foot of the cross. Sometimes your job is to put a stone in people's shoe. So hopefully this discussion helped maybe you think about some of the contradictions in the secular worldview and start pointing those things out point those out to the your coworkers. point those things out to um people that you're in that are in your sphere of influence whether they're friends or family members or people that you see online uh, don't be a jerk about it but but point out those contradictions you don't necessarily have to bring the gospel into every conversation but if you can point out the contradictory worldviews uh, in, that somebody is holding, create cognitive dissonance in them <laughs> by, uh, by pointing out those contradictions and let them stew. Let them, let them see in you something different because you can rest in truth. Um, whereas there, there would be all kinds of uh, anxiety being built up in somebody who's just a walking contradiction. So um, anyway, that's, that's that. Yeah, let's. I say we end with another sprawl quote because. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Sprawl, yeah, R.C. Sproul uh, recently recently passed away. If you haven't read it, go read the Holiness of God. It'll change your life. Yeah, he says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So the denial of God is the height of foolishness. And I think as Christians, if we remember that little phrase, yeah. we can go a long way to helping our coworkers, helping our friends. Yeah. Like you said, put the stone in their shoes so they can see the foolishness of some of these things that we're now calling truth and we're now calling good when it's clearly not so 
Hope that helped, guys. Yeah, um, hope that helped. And uh, if you're looking for more from the Rebels, um, check us out at uh, rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook. And you know what we would actually love is if you are a regular listener to uh, Rebel, help us expand. Uh, go on our Facebook page, invite some of your friends to like and follow Rebel Alliance Media. That's how we'll get the message out. Uh, we're so excited about all that God was able to accomplish through this little platform in 2007. We look forward to doing uh, even more in 2008. So come be part of the rebellion. 2018. 2018. That that also. <laughs> Become part of the rebellion and write 2018. <laughs> See ya. Love you, guys.